where nobody knows your name is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. I'm James. And I'm John. Today we're talking about the episode, The Executive's Executioner. It's a difficult title to say, I'll tell you that. It aired on the 7th of March, 1985. Directed by James Burroughs and written by Heidi Pullman. And I just want to kick off saying, I really like this episode. It's a good one. Yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by this. I was going to challenge you and say it's an easy time to say, but the execu- executive's executioner. It's a little bit tongue twistery. They were playing us for fools, weren't they, John? When they wrote that episode title. <laughs> when don't they? This episode came out on the 7th of March, 1985. And as you said, yeah, written by Heidi Pullman, which... After watching the episode, uh, a bit of a surprise to see she had written because a lot of her episodes are Carla-centric. This one, yeah. it's a norm number. Which, it's funny you say number because he's an accountant. Should we start with the cold open, which is about Carla? We see uh, someone leaving the bar and he gives a Carla a tip. She's not happy. 25 of the, your American cents. Money's money. It is- I understand why Carla's not happy about it. <laughs> uh, a long time ago, I was on a date with someone and they accidentally gave a one penny tip. How do you accidentally do that? They were doing it by card, you know, in the card machines, and uh, typed in one by accident instead of just clicking yes and moving on. So I had to explain to them afterwards, if you give no tip in the UK, they might be disappointed, but they tend to move on. The fact you gave a one pence tip, you you did that to make a point, is what they feel. One pence digitally as well. That's got real intent. That's I'm going to type in one P. That's where you get in. We didn't go back. You weren't welcome back. <laughs> what, did, uh, what did Carla do then to this man who gave her 25 cents? She was very passive aggressive. She was talking about all her woes, and there are many woes in Carla's life, but saying, well, now that I've got a quarter, everything will be better. Eventually, the customer goes, okay, okay, here's 10 bucks, and he asks for change, and Carla goes, okay, gives him back the quarter, and then goes, now beat it. Which is kind of theft, but Let's not get into that too much. Looks like I'm not the only one who won't be going back to an establishment after some misfortune in tipping. Well, that, that brings us on to the main episode. And there's there's two parts to this. There's kind of a, a B plot and an A plot, but they both kind of have, I'd say, an equal amount of screen time. Yes. Do you want to talk about which both of them are? I guess the B plot revolves around Cliff, which I think we get introduced to first. And Cliff has a new neighbour who's keeping him and his ma up all night. And I don't know what bebop music is. I'll tell you what, John. Oh, my neighbours and their bebop music. <laughs> <laughs> what is bebop music? Is that is that like a genre from times gone by? Or? It's a good question. I, I am familiar with the word, but if you ask me to define it, that's where the difficulty comes. I'm assuming it's kind of techno kind of music because of the noise, bebop. Here we go. Uh, bebop or Bop is a style of jazz developed in the early to mid-1940s. I would have thought Cliff would like this. Yeah, he seems like kind of a, a, a jazzy guy. Based on a quick Google of Bebop, Bebop and Rocksteady are two of the villains in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and they're both named after types of music. Bebop and Rocksteady? Yeah, Bebop being the musical style, and Rocksteady, which what? is, you know, your standard 4-4 four, four beat and rock music what kind of uh, villains are they are one they? appears to be some kind of warthog and one's a rhino they're kind of they've got kind of funky they've got a boombox something in this episode of where nobody knows your name we'll be talking about teenage mutant ninja turtles so well no no this is good because it, it, it develops a mental image for uh cliff's new neighbors <laughs> Feebop and what was it rocksteady they've moved yeah. into cliff and uh cliff and his ma 
They're not happy about it. Can't sleep. There's motor parts everywhere. Turtles with their martial arts. Yep, yeah, they're back flipping, picking up feuds. Cliff, we know from previous episodes, is a kung fu master. Everyone was kung fu clavin, <laughs> I think we said before. So Cliff's house down in the sewers is uh, now got a new neighbour. <laughs> Jason, I feel like we're veering way off topic. Yeah, we've got. he's got a new neighbour and he's not getting on well with them. And the plot which develops from this is how he should confront them. And the answer's not karate. The main plot is Norm's having a lovely beverage. He's just chilling out in the cheers, as he always does, and his boss walks in. Norm's not going to give in that easily because he left work early, didn't he? Yeah, we, we find out in this episode that normally he's work early every day and his boss has followed him this time to find out where he goes. And Norm does like a, a double take, sees his boss, hides behind the bar, puts a jacket over his head and runs to the bathrooms. A bit as if like he was exiting court. What, avoiding the paparazzi? Yeah, yeah no photos. <laughs> his boss performs a kind of Columbo type thing. He goes, ah, okay, well, if Norm isn't here, just just one more thing. If he isn't here, what's this? And Cliff goes, uh, uh mm. yeah, he's in the can. <laughs> Norm's pretty scared he's going to get fired. But plot twist. We've been making some organizational changes in the company, and starting tomorrow, we want you to be our corporate killer. Guy who fires people? That's right. Norm's being eyed up as a, a promotion of sorts, and he's going to become a corporate killer. You were curious about what the A-plot was, and it's that Norm's becoming an assassin. Or an executive's executioner. That's more difficult to say, but more accurate, so <laughs> we'll go with that. Yeah, so he gets offered the job of firing people, because his company's going to let a lot of people go, and they, they give a reasoning of why they've decided Norm should be the, the man for the job. You see, we decided that terminating employees puts too much stress on our executives. We think you'll be perfect. Why me? Because studies have shown that uh, it's particularly humiliating when you're fired by somebody who is clearly and markedly superior to yourself. And uh, that just wouldn't be the case with you, Norman. (laughs) See, uh, you're just an ordinary Joe. As a matter of fact, we, uh, we checked out your home life. You have absolutely nothing anyone could possibly envy or resent. I'm honored, sir. But uh, this just sounds like a horrible job, frankly. It's a 300% raise, and if you don't take it, you're fired. Sir, I will have you know that I cannot be bought, and I cannot be threatened. But you put the two together, and I'm your man. A backhanded compliment, I think. Actually, it's not a compliment at all. It's just backhanded. Yeah, he doesn't intimidate anyone or embarrass anyone. Which puts him as the ideal person to fire people. I would have thought it would be the other way around, but it was a different time. Yeah, I thought the same. I thought it didn't make sense. I'd be more confused being fired by someone who wasn't my boss. Especially, like, we find Norm's tactics later on. They seem very unprofessional. But he gets results, damn it. So who's uh, who's first on Norm's hit list, I'm going to call it? Billy Richter. Quick run-through of the cast so far. We've had Richard Rote as Mr. Hecht, who was Norm's boss. He also appeared in St. Elsewhere as Vandal Sloan, unrelated to Sumner. He appeared in Hill Street Blues as Maurice Farnsworth, unrelated to Professor Farnsworth, uh, among many other roles. Mark Scubb or Shub, either way, I've heard it both ways, as Billy Victor, he played Scott Kirkridge in Condo and Richard Sims in The Paper Chase. He is also a graduate of Goodard College, 
whose alumni also include David Mamet and William H. Macy. David Mamet being screenwriter, William H. Macy is an actor who was the main character in Fargo, the film. So Billy Victor, he's quite a young man, isn't he? Yeah, and uh, he's got a lot going for him and he loves his job. So Norm's tactics of how to fire people is essentially to take them for like a day out. I believe he takes them to baseball, maybe a movie. I'll tell you what, if it sounds like a wonderful date. It's a shame that he's being fired at the end of it. I love my job. The five months I've had it have been the best of my life. Isn't that exaggerating just a little bit, Billy? Not at all. Mr. Peterson, ever since I could remember, I dreamed of being an accountant. From the age of six, I did odd jobs so I could put myself through college. Now that I have it, I feel like I've got the world at my feet. I just put a down payment on a house. Now, maybe it was a little more than we wanted to spend, but scrow closed today, so there's no turning back now. <laughs> Besides, with my wife pregnant, we're going to need the room. You're... you're... Well, you know, uh, my, my wife and I are trying to have a baby, actually. Hey, that's great! Our kids are going to play together at the company picnic. I don't think so, Billy. <laughs> Why not? You're fired. I'm fired. <laughs> yeah, it's not your fault. Your history, Billy. It's a damn company. They're <laughs> cutting back all over the place. You're a good accountant. <laughs> Sorry. Norm starts to cry, which if this has been happening quite often in many episodes. Uh, I think you and I have both expressed disdain to the amount of times people ask Norm uh, whether Vera is pregnant yet. I thought that although crying may have been done for exaggerated comedic effect, it could have also been because Norm has realized that Vera could be unable to have children. And Billy being so young, having pregnant wife and a house and everything, Norm could have been crying because he is unable to have a child. You know, although it's been talked about quite often, Norm doesn't really want to talk about it. It's everyone else who brings up that whole having children thing and his and Vera's ability to do so. So maybe there's something afoot in the Peterson house. After Norm cries and he, he breaks down in front of Billy, Billy goes like, I'm going to be all right, Norm. I'm, I'm, I'll get a job. I'm still young. I've got that going for me. And, and leaves the bar kind of on and up. A corporate spy has watched the whole thing unfold. And Norm thinks that he's done a really bad job. But the corporate spy is like... Norm, I've never seen anyone fire someone so well. This guy's leaving thinking it's the best thing that's ever happened to him. He fires people but makes them happy about it. Norm gets put on a lot of cases to fire a lot of people, which brings on one of my favourite scenes of the whole series so far, the dream sequence. Uh, The dream sequence, I just have to say that it's creepy, it's unnerving, it's existential, it's profound, it's unlike anything we've seen in Cheers so far. It's like the Twilight Zone. Yeah. It was something else. Uh, and this episode won an Emmy for outstanding live and tape mixing and sound effects for a series, I think, because of this scene. Oh, I wouldn't say it was that good. <laughs> no, but it is something which stood out in comparison to other episodes of the series. That's true. But yeah, it was a very different tonal shift. I wonder if we'll get more dream sequences like that. So Norm's in like this sort of a very blue landscape of lots of smoke. There's an elevator shaft and Norm's just sort of pushing people off. People are lined up and Norm's just chucking them over the side. A very sort of surreal kind of idea. Yeah, it reminded me 
initially before we realized the kind of darkness in it of a Monty Python sketch in terms of like their bigger set pieces, say from The Meaning of Life, you know, where they had those grandiose designs. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. And then it became really quite sad and, as I say, unnerving, pushing these accountants down the elevator shaft. The next in the line has a like a, a napkin over their face, takes the napkin off. Norm's looking at Norm. It's about his inner conflict. And the damage he is doing to himself. And he's screaming. He wakes up screaming. So then he has to fire John Parker after this dream sequence. So we've had so far his victims, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Victor, uh, Phil Wagner, played by David Wall. He also played Eugene Proverst in Brewster's Millions, Robin Mars in Hill Street Blues, Sid Elgart in Brooklyn Bridge, Principal Wartz and Jerry Berman in Hey Arnold, Israeli Ambassador Leo Dory in Madam Secretary, among many others. Which brings us on to John Parker, played by Warren Munson. He played Judge Stanley Thurlow in Dynasty, uh, Judge Matthew Saucier, which is a great surname, in LA Law, Admiral Paris in Star Trek Voyager, among many others. Yeah, but by the time we get to his sacking, Nums. He's kind of emotionally exhausted. He's drained, isn't he? He's, he hasn't got time for it anymore. His tears are all dried up. He's drained like spaghetti in a colander. I'm, I'm liking the visual imagery. How, how could we uh, further this metaphor? He's, he's drained like spaghetti in a colander that's been thrown against the wall to check how cooked it is. And he's done. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. No al dente here. <laughs> By this point, Norm's got a bit of a reputation amongst everyone, giving people quite a good sort of sacking. And I'm not sure what John was expecting, but he seemed kind of mildly looking forward to being sacked by Norm. He was, if I remember correctly, someone who'd had, what, 40 years service in the company or something like that? Yeah. But he was kind of expecting an emotional goodbye, I guess. Norm couldn't cry. There were no no tears left in Norm. There were were fake tears. There were crocodile tears. So Cliff's noisy neighbours, Bebopper and Rocksteady, are still at it. And uh, Carla is kind of the devil on his shoulder who persuades him to write a letter. She's a wizard with words. I I wouldn't quite say that. I mean, she can write a spiteful letter. Bark hello to your wife from me. (laughs) Yours in disgust. Sign that. I'll sign it with pleasure. I'll mail this in my... Earliest convenience. Walk it over. It's going out in today's mail. Good, good. Glad to hear it. Look, Laban, just think of this as your ticket out of Weenie Town. He sends the letter, but uh, by the time the other Cheers mailman, the one which actually collects four Cheers, comes to send letters, Cliff has had second thoughts. He doesn't want to do this anymore. He finds out that uh, his neighbor's been in touch and he's apologized. Uh, and he's cleaning up his yard as they speak. And he would have got to it sooner, but he's been training for a world kickboxing championship. Cliff saying, no, I better, better not send that letter. But your boy, your postal boy, Walt Twitchell, comes to collect it. And he goes, now, Norm, or Cliff, whatever your name is, <laughs> <laughs> you know the rules. He's a stickler for the rules. And there's kind of a, a postal standoff. Cliff dives into, into his bag and retrieves the letter. And Walt's like, they'll have your bag for this. <laughs> yeah, your man's a bag. 
I thought it was very funny. Just it, the way he said it seemed almost unscripted. It, it seemed like John Ratzenberger was, was just really uh, annoyed with this guest star because he wasn't even looking at him when he said it. It's just very off the cuff. Uh, so we'll talk about who played Walt Twitchell. Ray Burke played Walt Twitchell. He also played Mr. DiPerna in The Wonder Years, Dr. Hendricks in Dear John, Judge Stephen Lang in L.A. Law, Riley Pringle in Coach Papschmeer in the first and third film of the Naked Gun trilogy, Dr. Phineas Phoenix in Black Scorpion, and Judge Bro in Days of Our Lives. Now that we're almost at the end, I'll talk about the other cast. The one in the cold open was Randy Miller as Michael. He now goes by Randall Miller and is predominantly a writer and director. This is not entirely related to the episode, but I find it interesting. He has worked closely with Alan Rickman and considers him a close friend and misses him dearly. One of the films they worked together on was CBGB, which was about a bar and establishment. I'll put it on the watch list. They talked about it briefly in Vinyl, the TV show. Just a little tidbit for you there. Of course, we have Larry as as Larry. Larry. Al Rosen is uncredited as Al because he just lives there. Coach is not here. Nicholas Colosanto is credited, but Coach does not appear. Norm tries to resign, but the HR personnel hang up because they think he's going to fire them. Yeah, he can't get through to anyone on the phone. He realises people are scared of him and calls his boss and does a spooky voice, because why not? That's almost the end of the episode, I think. Well, that that is the end. Um... There's one other thing I found interesting. Again, Sam and Diane argue or flirt with each other. Again, it's mostly about Sam boasting his sexual prowess and Diane just telling him he's wrong. That you're all caught up. That's what's happened with the will they won't they this episode. Though, she was reading an interesting book. She was reading 41 stories by O. Henry. Now, I found this interesting because according to Amazon, O. Henry is known for vivid caricature, local tone, narrative agility, and compassion tempered by irony, which I think is not only quite present in Cheers, but particularly this episode. One of O. Henry's most famous stories in 41 Stories is The Gift of the Maggie, or Magi. You've probably seen this parodied in a number. Was it in The Simpsons? It's been parodied in The Simpsons, yeah. It was parodied in Futurama. So what happens in The Gift of the Magi is that there's a married couple who want to buy gifts for each other. And the woman sells her hair in order to get a pocket watch chain for her husband's watch. Uh, However, Jim sells his watch in order to buy combs for his wife. So now they both have gifts which neither of them have a use for, but it's about love that they showed for each other in presenting those gifts to each other, and that their love is more priceless than those gifts. In Futurama, the parody of it was that both Amy and Hermes sold their hair to buy combs. As a joke, they bought combs for Zoidberg. And Zoidberg goes, oh, this will be great with my new hair. And it's Amy and Hermes' hair on his head. And it was very similar to this episode of Cheers, you know, kind of. The irony's certainly there. That's the trivia bell, James, and that means one thing. Lovely trivia letters. We got them straight from Bebop and Rocksteady. Big fans. I've got a question here. It's about Mr. Hecht and his detective skills. How does he confirm Norm was in Cheers? 
I mean, he, he opened a bathroom door and, and saw Norman. <laughs> That's how he got visual confirmation, yes. But before that, he found a clue on the floor of Cheers. I can't remember what the clue is. Insulation from the heating ducts, oh, yeah. which Norm used to escape from the office. In this episode, when Norm is firing Billy, Billy mentions several things um, which get Norm quite emotional. Can you list a couple of these things? Put a down payment on a house. Yeah. His wife is pregnant. Mm-hmm. That's that's all I can think he of. Also, always wanted to be an accountant, and from the age of six, he was doing odd jobs just to afford enough money to put himself through college. Carla talks about various birthing methods, you know, because she's pregnant. Diane's talking about her advice she's got and friends that have been pregnant, and you know what advice she could give her. And uh, Carla mentions a specific birthing method. What is it? Oh, I don't know, James. She says the man's. Which Diane goes, do you mean Le Mans? And Carla goes, no, Le Mans, I scream like a Ferrari. In this episode, Carla writes a letter to Cliff's neighbours. How does she sign off the letter? Your doom. Bark hello to your wife from me. Yours in disgust. She's a classic girl, is Carla. <laughs> what does Carla call Sam and Diane's flirting. Sickening? No, it's a bit more hurtful than that. Jibber jabber. She's not Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. The young and the chestless. Oh, I do remember that. I have one more question, and it's implied by this corporate spy. What is the name of the company Norm works for? Accountants. Jibber jabber. <laughs> it's a uh, Talbert International, but Accountants Jibber Jabber is a better name. I think there should be a, a, a I would I would a, accountant with them. Is that the last call at the bar, James? I think it is. I've realised we we don't we haven't had a drink for this episode. No, but I noticed that uh, when Billy left, he didn't finish his drink. You know, he was a bit disheartened. Norm didn't finish his drink. <laughs> he was crying. Uh, you know, pints of tears is what they were. But they gave. Norm, another drink. So I feel we've got two options. We can either have half-finished pints or pint of tears. I tell you what, I'll take the half pint, but you're not getting more than a 25 cent tip out of me. <laughs> we can raise our glasses to uh, a very surreal dream sequence. And as we get pushed down the ele- elevator shaft, <laughs> we'll scream, thank you for listening to Where Nobody Know Your Name. The Cheers Podcast! <laughs>